welcome back to Entertainment Talk. Today we are here to do a horror discussion and ranking podcast. I'm your host Matthew, joining me today my co-host is Barry. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, it's been a little while since I've done one of these, but uh, yeah, glad to be back. It's good to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, so this podcast is a little bit more, I suppose, up uh, Barry's alley sort of thing with horror. You're very passionate about it, very knowledgeable about it, which I'm sure we will all find out once you do your list. Um, so we are doing lists, but we are doing slightly different lists. Uh, essentially, I've got 13 just horror films uh, that are written down. Um, you know, my 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 favorite horror. These aren't. I wouldn't say these are best. These are more my in terms of my list. This is more favorite. I know obviously we do slightly different ones. Uh, and then you've got um your top ten or or something like that for seventies horror films. So they're both similar lists but different because you're obviously sticking to the seventies, but I'm sticking to just well film horror films that I've seen basically, and I I've picked thirteen of them. So uh, we're going to go through my list to start off with, uh, then we'll take our usual little break and then we will go uh, obviously do housekeeping, let you know what else we've been up to uh, for that little section and then we will jump into Barry's list after. So um, let's get started. So I've got 13 films. I know you've got some honourable mentions on your list and stuff as well, but uh, we'll get to that once we get to your list. Um, so yeah, number 13, so again, minor from any year that I've just seen horror films so uh, that's how I pretty much lined mine up uh, number 13 is Us one of the uh, the Jordan Peele films from I think that was last year yeah that was last year uh, I remember going out to see that um, I really liked the film really liked the idea of it and you didn't quite know what was going on from the trailer and why there was like clones of all the main characters and stuff um, the one thing that lets this film down to me and I did explain this in my review whenever it was last year uh, when, when it came out I didn't find I, I called the ending stupid at the time because I was, I guess, a bit more annoyed. But now that obviously it's been several months, um, I wasn't quite satisfied by the... I understood the explanation as to why there was these clones of the characters that we've been following. But I wasn't satisfied with the answer and I didn't, uh, yeah, like kind of the, the answer. It, it didn't, like, damage the whole film for me. I still took away a lot of good stuff from it. Obviously, that's a Jordan Peele film. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good overall, but just the ending I thought was like, oh, okay, that's where you're sort of going with that. Obviously, I won't spoil it here. If you want to hear my full thoughts on it, obviously, you can search for us on the website and it should come up as well. Number 12 is uh, Blair Witch. This is the, because obviously there's been like 500 of these uh, Blair Witch films. Uh, this isn't the newest one. This is the one they did a few years ago, because I think there was one that was from like, a couple of years ago, this was the one that was a couple of years before that. It was sort of the one that brought fan footage films back slightly, but it was in it was in and around the same era of like paranormal activity, if if you know what I mean. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a fairly good film. Uh, this was the one with the uh, you know at the end where the guy is um, the the very ominous ending at the end it's that one because i know i do know that they did do a modern day blair witch after that one so i'm trying to just explain which one exactly it is it's not the most recent blair witch film i remember from a couple of years ago it's the modern one from a couple of years before that but i can't really explain the ending because that would spoil things so uh but yeah that's the one from there um yeah it was a great film it had you know some mysteries to okay what was going on and why were these teenagers or young adults being sort of messed around with and that sort of thing so I thought it was good, but uh, yeah, it. Uh, I think it was let down in certain places. The pacing was a bit slow, and I get it. You have to slow burn with certain horror films and everything, but um, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, number 11 is Get Out, of course, the other recent film from uh, Jordan Peele. 
Um, thought this was great. Thought it was obviously, you know, all to do with uh, slavery and, and and things like that. That was obviously some of the themes in there. I was quite. I was a lot more satisfied by the ending of this film from Jordan Peele than I was with Us. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was very kind of creepy and very sort of uh, well, quite sad in certain places. But uh, overall, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, number ten is it chapter one, not it chapter two, because I didn't like it. I mean, it chapter two had some good things to it, but I had uh, some huge problems with the second film. But I'm going to put the first one in uh, instead of the second one. Of course, I've reviewed the second one, but not the first one. Um, yeah, thought it was a great kind of introduction to Pennywise and his creepy kind of, I guess you could say, manipulative self. How he's like, you know, finding children in the corners of certain places and manipulating them and then well eating their faces or whatever he he does uh but i thought that was great i thought the whole you know balloon stuff that they introduced was was really good and uh yeah i thought it was a good kind of start to that mini double franchise i suppose you could say because i don't think we're going to get in it chapter three and i don't really i don't feel like i need a third film so uh, we'll see how that plays out uh number nine is halloween the 2018 what well, wasn't a reboot because it still had the same uh, two characters, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, Laurie and, of course, Michael Myers himself. Um, thought it was a good way to introduce an already established franchise because how many Halloween films has there been? Like seven or something like that? There's There's been quite a few, hasn't there? Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good kind of modern day introduction, um, and uh, yeah, it helped introduce yeah modern day audiences to this kind of franchise without having to go through some really old sort of films. But if you want to do that, obviously you, can, you still can. Correct me if I'm wrong. This con- continuity wise takes place. You can watch the first one is tied into the 2018 one. This uh, Halloween 2018 actually ignores all sequels. All sequels. So this right. is actually a continuation from the original 1978 film. But at the same time, while it actually disregards the, the rest of the franchise, it slyly and quite rightly makes little nods and references to some of the sequels. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, that's continuity-wise how that sort of works. Uh, number eight is It Follows. This is basically about um, this creature that... What was it? It was like if someone has had sex with you who's had the... I don't know if we call it disease or whatever. The the curse, I think. I think curse is the right word to sort of use. Um, someone who's had the curse, if they have sex with you, the monster thing will then follow you hence it follows because it's just we, we don't know what it, it even is uh but it's just like person kind of thing that follows you um and it shows like kind of how smart this this thing is um and then the, obviously you have the main characters who try and sort of get away from things and sort of no matter where these characters are it will follow you everywhere and uh, you have to sort of work out how to get away from that i thought it was kind of a fresh kind of idea i know obviously in horror films things do follow you and it's it it doesn't do anything new really in terms of that it's just this idea that like okay how can you like can you maybe kill it or what can you do to sort of get away from it and then obviously how the group gets involved i think is uh pretty cool and stuff and um yeah i think the last you know the last third of that and the ending i thought was uh pretty good so yeah overall i quite enjoyed that film as well uh number seven is going to be hereditary um really really enjoyed this film uh really really creepy with all the stuff with the daughter that goes on and especially how that evolves later into the film and what the family sort of does about the situation and uh just um how can you really i'm trying to find i'm trying to think of ways to praise this film without spoiling too much because it really kind of the first half of the film is about um 
isn't it like a family member that dies or something and then like the the daughter starts yeah. acting really weird or whatever uh, i think it's the nan or something that, that passes away which is part of the plot it's not really a spoiler um and then kind of shows like some some creepy stuff from there but uh, i thought it was really good and certainly very very creepy in uh, certain later scenes i think once the thing happens in that film you start to really go around some creepy uh, corners um i wasn't quite that satisfied with the ending i thought the whole idea of that wasn't that great but i really enjoyed uh, most of the rest of that film so i'm going to put that at seven i'm going to cheat a little bit with number six just because i can't remember all these films specifically but i'm just going to put scream not scream one not scream two or three or four just the overall scream kind of franchise i know that's not very specific or whatever um but it's been a while since i've seen them i didn't have any uh, i didn't really have time to go back and like recap on them or whatever um but i do really like the scream franchise i like the whole ghost face idea and all that sort of thing um i did like the three seasons that we got um the the vh1 and mtv reboot i know a lot <coughs> excuse me i know a lot of people didn't really gravitate towards that too well but i thought they still did a did a fairly good job uh, and obviously we're supposed to get some sort of scream 5 in the future um and we'll see what that's about but yeah just the that was sort of my introduction in a way to the the slasher genre obviously i know things like halloween go uh but i think before all those sorts of films but um yeah to, to me that was my kind of introduction to them really kind of gravitated towards the characters and that and uh yeah i just really like that kind of um slasher survival kind of idea and that was the franchise for me that kind of introduced me to that um i mean i think i saw some saw films around the same time but that's not slasher in the same way that cause that's more like a puzzle box thing isn't it with like traps and you know do you want to play a game and all that sort of thing but uh, in terms of the just you know knife sort of slasher genre uh that was what kind of introduced that for me so uh that always holds Bit of a special horror place in my heart, if if that makes any sense. Uh, number five, The Invisible Man, Elizabeth Moss, the 2020 version. Um, you know, obviously is having some trouble making money at the moment because of everything that's happening. But uh, it is available, it is on the Sky Store, because I, I went to check if a Hunt was on there today as well. And so if you, you know, obviously we can't get out to the cinema at the moment. If you do want to go and watch either The Hunt or Invisible Man or some other recent films, some things are getting released on demand. So if you've got access to the Sky Store, you can go and check out invisible man and some other things as well but uh, i thought elizabeth moss was fantastic um it's interesting to see her do i I would like to see her in the future do less kind of traumatized woman or female sort of traumatized character kind of roles and and do something different because i've been watching her do that on the handmaid's tale for about five seasons now or however long that's been uh but nonetheless she's a great actress um maybe if she did something in marvel or dc in the future and she played as like I don't know, superhero of some kind or, or something might be kind of cool, but uh, nonetheless, great performance from her. And um, yeah, at this moment in time, and when I went to review the film, I can't think of anybody better, uh, neither man or woman. Whether you change it and do the Invisible Man and is hunting a man or, or or whatever the situation, I don't think there's an actor or an actress who could do that role better at the moment. No, no one that I could really think of at the moment. So uh, yeah, really enjoyed the Invisible Man. Uh, number four, I'm going to put the first Paranormal activity uh that was that was again my introduction to uh the found footage kind of films really found it quite uh scary in a way creepy and kind of a a fresh sort of thing uh just that just that idea of like okay night by night you get the slow burn of switching between the cameras things are moving slowly and uh sure i know the the other sequels weren't weren't as good as weren't, weren't as good as what people wanted and that um i hear that we're getting a new one or whatever hopefully that will just give us 
some answers because we were left with the opposite of answers. We were left with just more questions at the end. Um, I'm still confused about that decision. The the fact that they said with the last one a couple of years ago, they said, oh, this is the last one and you'll get all the answers. And it ended on a cliffhanger, which is the opposite thing to, to do in that situation. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see what they do in the, hopefully, I think it's 2021 that film's supposed to be coming out. But we'll see, obviously, with everything that's happening at the moment. But um yeah, I still think the first panel motivity is great. Obviously, some people really don't like those sorts of films. But, um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it at the time. I thought it was great. So, that was pretty good. Uh, number three is Annihilation. This is the Natalie Portman. And uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but she plays the mum from uh, Atypical on Netflix. But, um, yeah, this is basically a sort of... Um, Sci-fi, sort of futuristic, not like futuristic in like um, a Blade Runner kind of thing, but sort of futuristic in some ways. And uh, yeah, some of the horror stuff with the monsters and some of the way that some characters get killed is really kind of uh, horrific and quite horror-esque. And um, yeah, I remember really, really enjoying that at the time. Um, It got a limited kind of release at the theatres or at the cinemas at the time um because it was released basically in certain theatres in in the US and then about a month later it came to Netflix in the UK very weird way to release the film I don't know what sort of happened with that um but yeah Natalie Portman's great in that and uh, I very much enjoyed that as well uh number two I'm going to put Hush uh, this isn't a Netflix film but I found it on Netflix obviously it was probably released in cinemas some point before that but i uh, found it a couple of years ago on netflix when i was searching for well just looking through netflix on on, on certain things uh this is basically about a uh, deaf woman who is living in i think like a remote home sort, sort of somewhere and um this intruder basically tries to get in and she doesn't know he's there at first because obviously she can't hear him you know rattling on the doors or hit banging on the windows or whatever and um yeah, I thought it was a good kind of uh, slow, slow burn in a way, but then once things kind of kick on, I thought it was really, really good. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that at the time. Um, I, I'd like to, I'd like someone to do not necessarily a sequel, but a similar idea. I think would be really good, but just a very kind of isolated. You know, there's only a, a very, very few characters in the film, and they do quite a lot with that as well, which I, I think was pretty great. So, and number one is A Quiet Place, uh, of course released a couple of years ago, unfortunately we don't have access to A Quiet Place 2, which, yeah, it would have come out, um, yeah, today, wouldn't it? So, uh, that's unfortunate, obviously, hopefully we'll see that at some point in the future, um, but of course we can't go and see it at the moment. Um, yeah, just this idea of, like, not only do you have because, I mean, usually with any film where you're running away or hiding from something the idea is not to make noise but then a quiet place comes along and it's like okay you can't make any noise you know you've got to be quiet with things like footsteps and talking and a bunch of other stuff and i thought again that was kind of a fresh idea uh, i think emily blunt and john krasinski are incredible at the moment they're really knocking it out of the park with certain things they're doing you know um they're doing obviously a quiet place too john krasinski's been in two seasons of jack ryan he's been amazing um emily emily blunt's been great in a lot of things that she's done um and we'll see what they come out with in the future obviously an actual real life couple which is cool as well so yeah thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the first one and i can't wait to see what they do with the with the second one so um that is basically my list any thoughts on my list barry uh yeah there were quite a few films on there that i did like uh blair witch project i mean that was the film that did essentially give birth to the found footage genre um you know that film obviously was a huge commercial success and i'll be honest very few found footage films since the blair witch project i feel have uh, captured the uh, the level of authenticity that 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 film had um 
you know nothing felt scripted you felt like you were watching a real people real people in a real situation obviously it's very much a psychological horror film uh, there's no jump scares there's no special effects and uh, i mean obviously i'd say much of the power of the film has been lost now because you know when it was marketed when it was originally released a lot of people went to the cinema thinking what they were watching was 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 real stuff it was marketed in such a great way uh, really liked the quiet place i thought that was a really good film i mean the whole kind of concept's been done before post-apocalyptic and all that but it was just directed with such finesse by john krasinski and him and emily blunt you know emily blunt she's she, she's a great actress and uh, it's really the characters that i mean but they, they told a really good story without the aid of dialogue. It yeah. was so well directed. Uh, Invisible Man, I'll be honest, went into that film with pretty pretty low expectations, and I thought that film was elevated well above average due to very good direction and, like you said, a great performance from Elizabeth Moss. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've never actually been a huge fan of uh, Paranormal Activity myself. Um, I quite appreciate the first film, and you know, I don't, I don't hate the franchise by any means or anything. But it was one of them things where it did obviously become a bit of a, a bit of a cash grabbing franchise after a while. Um, but uh, yeah, because I think when the first film came out in two thousand seven, I think it actually became like the. Um, you know the most profitable horror film of all time but it's really easy to see why these films get churned out because they're very cheap to make and they're almost guaranteed you know some degree of profit mm-hmm. yeah and uh hereditary as well yeah hereditary i would definitely say is probably one of my favorite horror films of the last the last five to ten years definitely Alright, so that's everything for my list. We're going to take a quick break, like I said at the start. Uh, Once we do some housekeeping, just let you know the other podcasts we've been doing on Entertainment Talk. uh, And then Barry can do his list from the 70s. So we'll see you uh, for that in a minute. Today's sponsor is Kualu. If you'd like to get started with a domain name and a website today, just click on the link in the show notes and that will take you over to Kualu to get started. They also have a live support chat system that you can use, which is in the bottom right-hand corner. So get started with a new website and domain name today with Kualu. Hey everybody, if you would like to get the ad-free versions of all of our podcasts and support entertainment talk along the way, all you need to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash entertainment talk. Sign up either as a creator or as a Patreon. There's no difference there. That's just the option for either becoming a creator now or just staying as a patron for the moment. And then all you need to do is support us at the $1 level tier. That will get you access to all of the ad-free podcasts that we've done in the past. And get you access to all the ad-free podcasts in that month as well. So it's a great way to support us on Entertainment Talk and to get rid of the ads and get your ad-free podcasts. You can also become a patron at the $3 level tier that gets you access to ad-free podcasts and allows you to redeem a review of a TV show or a film of entirely your choice. That's one per month for either a TV show or a film review which is at the $3 level tier. As always, thank you very much for listening. Back to the show. 
Alright, so recently on Entertainment Talk, uh, we're still doing Better Cole Soul, uh, of course, for its fifth season. Me and David are doing that. We're already halfway through the season, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, if you're watching that for this season, we're doing a podcast for that on Thursdays. Remember, that's on Thursdays, not on Wednesdays now. Uh, Westworld has returned for its third season. We covered the uh, first episode of season three on its return. That is on Wednesdays. Uh, as I keep saying as well, just a little reminder, the two shows that start with W, Walking Dead and Westworld, uh, are the podcasts that are done on Wednesday, which starts with W as well. So that's a good way to kind of uh, remember that. And then Better Cross Hole is on Thursday. Speaking of Walking Dead, big episode this week. Obviously won't say anything about it here. But uh, yeah, that's for season 10, episode 12. We've got four episodes left of the season. So uh, we're still going with those three big shows. Uh, Gaming Talk this week, we talked about the Xbox Series X and some information that was released. And uh, talked about a little video demonstration we saw about sw- uh, sw- uh, swapping between games and uh, save states, all that sort of thing. Um, we also talked about E3 2020 being cancelled but will now be a digital Twitch and YouTube event and we talked about the fact that uh, Warner Brothers was planning to reveal uh, apparently the new Batman game, the Rocksteady game and the new Harry Potter game so they were going to come out with some big guns this year hopefully they still will on YouTube or Twitch in some way uh, in in, uh, June but we'll see about that Uh, CW Superheroes for Batwoman Season 1 Episode 15 Uh, podcast that I did this week as well Uh, 20 TV shows to watch that have either finished or are getting a final season Uh, whether or not that final season is being filmed now or has been filmed or whatever the case may be those are shows that have either aired their final season or or, or are going to have that this year or next year or whenever so uh, that's 20 shows to watch and I'll tell you where you can watch those shows as well places like Now TV, Netflix, Amazon whatever so uh, go and check that out as well Um, David also did a list on geektown.co.uk of course uh, 10 heartwarming shows to watch at uh, at the moment so you can go and check both of those lists out of course David's list is on geektown.co.uk and my list is on entertainmenttalk.org uh, what else we got here? Uh, streaming service review for this week. Uh, talked about the ITV hub. Uh, so that was that for this week. Next week I'm going to be talking about BBC iPlayer. Uh, and in the week after that I will be reviewing Disney Plus. Which comes out on Tuesday. But of course I want to spend a bit of time with Disney Plus first. Before I go and review it. Because well I've never used it before. So uh, yeah look out, look out for those so far. For the streaming service reviews. Uh, let's play Sunday's episode for Dreams. Where I tried and failed to make something in Dreams. But that was cool as well. Um, and yeah that's pretty much what we've been doing on entertainmenttalk.org and on podcast platforms uh so barry you are going to do your is it favorite or best list i would actually say i would say this is actually my favorite my favorite uh 10 horror films of the 70s because i actually think the 70s was actually a great decade for horror uh, as was the 80s, uh, there was a huge influx of what you'd call contemporary horror released within that time period. And uh, a lot of horror movies within this period of the 70s and the 80s are now deemed to be very much classics of the genre. Did You, you had some honourable mentions first as well, didn't you? So I guess you'd want to do those first and then go into your list. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I'll just state that uh, it's in no specific order actually um but yeah there's a couple of honorable mentions i mean there's a lot of great horror films from the 70s that didn't quite get into my top 10 um but yeah the first honorable mention i would have to say is 1976 is the tenant uh directed by and starring roman polanski um it was actually the uh third and final film in what polanski called his apartment trilogy uh, Repulsion being the first, Rosemary's Baby in 1968, which is certainly the most well-known of the three films. But uh, um, 
the tenant isn't it's not a horror movie per se in the traditional sense it's a psychological thriller but it certainly has enough horror elements to it to warrant it as a horror film it's a very claustrophobic creepy look really um about a man's descent into into madness uh, it's a film that very much blurs the lines between fantasy and reality. And of the three films I've just mentioned, uh, The Tenant is the one that I feel is somewhat underappreciated. It doesn't really get talked about that much. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is, you know, very much a classic psychological horror film. And The Tenant, I don't feel, gets nowhere near enough attention as what, say, Rosemary's Baby does. So I would definitely say it's, uh, like I say, it's a very slow-burning psychological horror film that is very much a character study. Uh, that that would be my first honourable mention. Um, the second of which would be the 1978 remake of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which uh, I think as horror movie remakes go, it's actually one of the best of its kind. The original is a sci-fi horror classic in 56, and uh, this film certainly holds up to the original film, which not a huge amount of remakes do. And in some aspects, it even improves on the original film. Um, the real kind of scare factor I've always found with Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the whole loss of identity, who to trust, where to turn. And... Uh, it's very deftly directed. Uh, it stars, obviously, it, it's got Donald Sutherland in there, Leonard Nimoy, a young Jeff Goldblum. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really good sci-fi horror film with probably one of the bleakest endings in the history of horror cinema. Uh, all right, moving into the actual 10 now. Um, I'm probably I'm, I'm going to start a, a classic film. It's released in 1975. It's a film that everyone knows. And it was actually a huge box office success. And that's Jaws. And this is obviously, I think, a film that a lot of people don't really classify as a horror film. But I feel as though Jaws has actually got enough horror elements to it to actually be considered a horror film. Uh, everything from John Williams's, uh, you know, iconic score. I mean, John Williams is probably is one of the biggest, if not the biggest film composer in Hollywood. Uh, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Close Encounters and Jaws. I mean, it's a very simple yet hugely effective theme score. The movie obviously has what I deem to be jump scares. And I think Jaws very much at its core. It is a monster movie, but in this case, it's, you know, the monster is a giant great white shark. Uh, very deftly directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, this obviously put Spielberg on the uh, on the Hollywood map, but it even proved four years prior to Jaws that the guy could do suspense with, with 1971's Duel. Um, I mean, the thing is, with, with, with Jaws, it's very much a masterclass in, in suspense. And it's quite ironic, really, because Spielberg originally wanted the audience to see a lot more of the shark. But it just wasn't possible because the giant mechanical shark they used, which they actually nicknamed Bruce, um, just kept malfunctioning. So they really couldn't show as much of the shark as they wanted to. But I actually think that works in the film's favour. I really do. Less is more. Um, so, yeah, Jaws. And obviously it was actually it's actually the first film to ever be classified as a blockbuster as well. It, it was the first film to ever make over one hundred million dollars at the box office. Um, 
The next film would probably be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the original 74 film, which when it was released, needless to say, it caused a lot of controversy. Um, it was the film has a certain raw quality to it because it's shot on 16 millimeter. There's a level of authenticity about it. It feels real. And it's that kind of grimy grit that really kind of adds to the film's power. Um, the title is quite misleading, actually. It's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but there's actually very little in the way of blood. It's so like I said, a lot of the, the a lot of the power from the film seems to stem from the fact of it's very low budget. It's grainy. It almost feels like you're kind of watching snuff at times. And in a way, it's it, it's very much a proto slasher film. I don't feel like the slasher film is fully formed at this point, but you can tell that the slasher movie was starting to form with films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's almost part slasher, part exploitation. And obviously it did give us, it was directed by Toby Hooper, one of the biggest names in the horror industry. And it actually gave us one of the most iconic horror movie villains of all time in, in Leatherface. Uh, so yeah, that, that film caused quite an impact actually when it, when it was released. Uh, the next film would be, I, I think this is a horror film that doesn't really need any introduction. Uh, the Exorcist. Mm, yeah. Which for a long time, uh, up until it, which you know came out in 2017, it was the highest-grossing horror film of all time for a long time, and uh, still one of the most controversial films of all time. When it was released at the end of 1973, it caused a huge impact for the fact of nobody had ever seen a film with that kind of raw power before, and for a film that's nearly 47 years old, it holds up remarkably well. Uh, the Tubular Bells by Mark Old, Mike Oldfield uh, perfectly complements the movie. Uh, there are still scenes to this day that remain pretty unsettling and pretty pretty powerful. So it's quite easy to see as to why this caused such an impact. I mean, it is very much the granddaddy of demonic possession films. Um, you know, and the thing is, I mean, there were actually priests. I mean, this just kind of added to the film's mythos and publicity in a way. But there were actually priests lining up outside cinemas, actually blessing people as they left when this film came out. People were fainting and people were vomiting and all this and that. And this is actually true, legit. There, there were genuine people that just could not take to this film. And um but, you know, admittedly, some of the little effects might seem a little dated now, but it's still it's still a film that has the power, I feel, to um, to unsettle. Um, the next movie would be Carrie, which ironically, it was the it was Stephen King's first ever novel. I mean, obviously, he's hands down the biggest horror author of all time in terms of, you know, commercial success. Uh, it was his first novel and it was his actually his first novel to ever be made into a film. And it still is to this day. It was released in 1976 and it's still one of the uh, one of the best Stephen King adaptations out there. Uh, superbly directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, the casting was was perfect. Sissy Spacek, Oscar nominated for it in the lead role. Pippa Laurie has a religious zealot mother. Um, it, it's a great little horror film that's kind of, I mean, even Steve, Stephen King himself doesn't actually see it as a horror movie per se. It's more about a kind of a coming-of-age film with horror elements to it. 
you know, a young bullied girl at high school. She's got telekinetic powers and she decides to use these in revenge for, for, for her bullying, etc. You really do feel for the character of Carrie in this movie. She's such a sympathetic character. Um, and it's quite notable, actually, for having John Travolta in his first ever film. Only in a small role, but yeah, a young Travolta's there. And uh, I believe it was probably the first ever horror film in history, actually, to actually have a jump scare as its ending, which actually made a lot of people throw their popcorn when they saw that film when it first came out. Uh, They tried to emulate. They did actually emulate that in Friday the 13th, just four years later. There was a big uh, big jump scare that the movie ends with. Um, So, yeah, I definitely put Carrie in there. Um, another movie I would have to say is Suspiria, which is it was 1977 and it's arguably Argento's best film to date, either that or Profondo Rosso, which came out a couple of years prior. Uh, Suspiria is an Italian horror film directed by one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in Italian horror, Dario Argento. Um, it's not really uh, a giallo. It's very much a supernatural horror film. Uh, it has a very kind of nightmarish, dreamlike quality to it. Uh, the movie has quite a lot of striking imagery to it, and uh, there are some slasher elements to it, but it's definitely more a supernatural horror film. And uh, Goblin are an Italian rock band. They actually scored quite a few of Argento's films and this is actually one of their best if not their best score uh, it complements each scene perfectly uh, there was actually a remake released I believe it was just two years ago uh, didn't really care too much for that it felt way too pretentious and I mean it was very artistic but it kind of felt like it really went nowhere um, but yeah the uh, the original Suspiria um, the next film, I'd again, this is a film that everyone knows. It's it's very much a sci-fi classic. Uh, it's definitely a horror film, though, and that is Alien, 1979. Um, arguably Ridley Scott's best film to date. Um, I think Alien, again, like Jaws, is a masterclass in suspense. Uh, the movie relies heavily on its sense of claustrophobia and isolation. And uh, in a way, it's essentially a slasher film in space you know you've got a group of people on the spaceship the nostromo they're all being stalked and bumped off one by one by an alien creature uh, it's got fantastic production design for its time uh, i think the alien itself the xenomorph is is iconic i mean the xenomorph is probably one of the greatest horror movie creations in the history of cinema you know created by hr geiger um, even the chestburster scene is probably one of the most famous, iconic uh, scenes in film history. Um, and I think, like, like like Jaws, you know, less is more. You don't actually see that much of the alien up until the end of the film. Um, it has some really well-constructed jump scares. And, uh, yeah, it's a very slow-burning sci-fi horror film that uh, I think very few sci-fi horror films have actually come close to since since Alien. Um, the next film would be Black Christmas, which there was a 2019 remake. Obviously, I think you saw that last oh, year, what, didn't you? What a film! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, um, not very good at anything it does. I'm not talking about the one that you're talking about. I'm talking about the uh, last year's version. Um, yeah, couldn't quite believe what I was watching at certain points. 
um, with that film. But uh, yeah, tell us about the, the the previous version. It's um, well, the thing is, I I'll be honest that that the new version that came out, I didn't even realize Blumhouse were even making another because we actually had a Black Christmas remake in two thousand six. Uh, the less said about that film, the better. So when I found out there was another remake out, and I'm like, we've got two remakes of the same the same film here. Well, you know what the hell was going on? The original is a slasher classic. I mean, the original movie predates Halloween by four years. Um, I won't, obviously, yeah, ha- ha- Halloween will be on the list, but Black Christmas is a film that it, it is one of the earliest slasher films. Uh, it certainly wasn't the commercial success that Halloween was, but it is now widely regarded as being a, a slasher classic, and it does have it does have very much kind of cult status among horror, horror fans now. It's even to this day. It was released in '74, and it's still an effectively scary film. There's a great sense of claustrophobia and tension to it, and a good air of mystery as well the killer in this movie i won't go into spoilers but the killer in this movie is is pretty scary um the telephone calls that the killer makes in this film are actually pretty disturbing uh you know it's a group of girls in a sorority house being stalked and bumped off one by one um much like halloween it has a pretty low body count it's not all about the blood and gore it's about the atmosphere and uh yeah there's definitely a sense of tension there and uh yeah it's a film that got very little attention upon release but more people are actually um being introduced to it now um like i said the remake has absolutely nothing on the original it was directed by bob clark who actually directed i believe it was a christmas story so that guy has actually directed two christmas films one a dark horror movie and one a uh you know a very kind of uh, family friendly christmas orientated film quite quite a contrast to each other um but all of the characters in this film work as well you've got you've got uh, margot kidder in there who went on to play lois lane in superman and obviously she was in the amateurville horror you got olivia hussey who is a great actress uh, doesn't quite get enough credit um but despite the film's very bleak tone uh, there's actually some some good injections of humor as well that don't actually feel forced as well but i would recommend black christmas definitely to anyone that's that likes slasher films and just wants to watch what i would actually deem to be the scariest christmas film of all time definitely um the next film would be dawn of the dead the original 78 version uh, which was very much George A. Romero's follow-up to Night of the Living Dead, which is Night of the Living Dead is the granddaddy of zombie films. I mean, the whole I, zombie I've got genre. I've watch that at some point. I think I have actually got the DVD of um, maybe both of those films you just mentioned, but I definitely go, got to go and watch them at some point because I, I keep getting told as someone who's you know a zombie fan and that that that's something that uh, I must watch. So um, yeah, I should probably do that at some point as well. Yeah, it, I mean, it, basically, George A. Romero, I mean, what he did, I mean, it's a cool classic, you know, it's very low budget, but, you know, it's black and white, it's released back in 68, the low budget black and white just kind of adds to the film's creepiness, it just kind of gives it a real sense of, there's almost something Twilight Zone-esque about it as well, mm. uh, but yeah, George A. Romero basically started the whole zombie genre in this film, you know, all of the conventions that we know, you know, shooting them in the head kills a zombie, you know, if you're right. bitten one and you become one he set them rules he laid that groundwork in that film 
so, I mean, Night of the Living Dead, I would say, is probably the scariest zombie film of all time. But I know that Dawn of the Dead is widely considered by many to be like the godfather of zombie films. Um, Night of the Living Dead is the one that started it. Dawn of the Dead is the one that kind of cemented it. It's the one that I feel like it kind of put zombies more into the mainstream with Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it was a bigger movie, certainly a bigger film in terms of budget and scope. And, uh, yeah, it's, I feel like there's a lot of social commentary in Dawn of the Dead as well that still holds up quite well now, actually, um, especially about consumerism and so forth. Um, I have to say the 2004 remake by Zack Snyder was actually very good. And uh, as horror movie remakes go, that's probably one of the best examples out there. I wasn't expecting much from the remake, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, but the original movie it has, you know, top-notch gore effects for its time by Tom Savini, who's very much like one of the biggest names in the in the horror industry. Uh, the guy has worked on countless films, zombie films. He did Day of the Dead. He's worked on loads of slasher films in the 80s, like The Burning and Friday the 13th. And, uh, yeah, the, the film has some very good gore effects for its time. Um, so Dawn of the Dead is probably the most iconic, possibly the most iconic zombie film of all time uh now uh the next on the list would uh i do believe this is this would actually be the final one okay the original Halloween. okay the movie basically kick-started the slasher genre i mean it was certainly the commercial success of halloween that basically helped to uh popularize the slasher genre it kind of paved the ways for for countless imitators to to, to follow and there were many you know, are following the footsteps of Halloween, you had Friday the 13th, you had Prom Night, Terror Train, you know, My Bloody Valentine, um, Hell Night, the list, the list just goes on. It was very much, after Halloween, it was very much kind of the golden age of slasher films. Um, and the thing is, with Halloween, it was such a simple concept, but it was almost perfectly executed. Um, it's a film that was directed with a lot of finesse by John Carpenter, who basically just wanted to try and make the scariest film he could with the little money they had and uh it quickly became the most successful independent film of all time i mean halloween is very much a film about its emphasis is on suspense and atmosphere uh the the there's a very low body count. You know, Michael Myers actually spends the majority of the film actually stalking his victims. But it's like uh, John Carpenter actually makes great use of the uh, the Panaglide, the widescreen format. You never quite know from what corner Michael Myers is going to pop up from. <laughs> yeah. And there's almost a supernatural element to him. It's like one minute he's there, the next he's gone. And it's like I said, such a simple concept, but with, with the money they, you know, John Carl, it, it was quite an achievement for what they were able to do with the money they had. Uh, the score, which was actually uh, composed by Carpenter himself, just perfectly, just perfectly complements each scene, the film. Mm -hmm. um, it's ironic, really, because they made the film without a score and they actually showed it to a few uh to a few studios and they actually said there's there's actually nothing scary about this film so he took the film away and actually come up with a score and they loved it the moment that score was done um i don't feel like there's any genre out there actually probably more than horror other than obviously musicals because that's the whole format but right. music does seem to play an incredible part a very pivotal part in horror for the most part 
and uh, the score by Carpenter is certainly one of the most well-known and most iconic horror theme songs um, in history. Uh, I think Michael Myers is obviously he's one of the he's one of the great slasher movie villains out there. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is, the whole story behind the mask. I mean, you know, they literally found the cheapest mask they could find, which was actually a Captain Kirk William Shatner mask. They had very little money to spend. They bought the mask, spray painted it white, widened the eye holes, messed up the hair, and that's how Michael Myers was created. Um, but yeah, it's um, I mean, its original title was going to be The Babysitting Murders. It wasn't even going to be set on Halloween. And then they actually had the idea of, do you know what? There, there'd never even been a horror movie hmm. before actually been set on Halloween night. So it was, it was a pretty new thing. I think Halloween's a much better title. I'm glad they went with that instead. So Definitely. Babysitting yeah. Murders. I was like it's a TV <laughs> film. It sounds like a TV movie, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, obviously, it catapulted Jamie Lee Curtis to uh, to stardom. Uh, she quickly became. This is the film that introduced her as a scream queen. But then, of course, she starred in Halloween Two, Terror Train, and Prom Night, and she she pretty much cemented her career as a scream queen. But yeah, this is the film that introduced her to the big screen. Donald Pleasance. You know, a very established actor at that time, a great English thespian, uh, probably one of my favourite actors of all time. I love Donald Pleasance, and he was just perfect as Dr. Sam Loomis. And the ironic thing is, he, he nearly turned the film down. He didn't like the script. Uh, it was actually through some arm twisting from his granddaughter that she was actually a big fan of John Carpenter's first film, which was Dark Star, released in 74. She convinced her grandfather to actually take on the role. And it's really ironic as well that Christopher Lee, you know, the horror legend, a man with over 200 acting credits to his name, was offered the role, but he actually turned it down as well. Later to state, it was the biggest mistake of his career. Um, a lot of people did not envision John Carpenter included. They didn't envision just how successful and how influential Halloween would would become. But uh, so yeah, my 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 love of slashers uh, kind of started with Scream. You know the film you mentioned earlier. Yep, mine, mine um, too as well. So I mean, cause, yeah, because some of my earlier films, like I said, Paranormal Activity, Scream, those were the two that kind of showed horror to me, I suppose, and then obviously went into other films later. So, but th those are the yeah. earliest two I probably remember. Obviously, I probably saw certain horror films before those two, but those were the two, you know, when I was, you know, getting a bit young, uh, older, I suppose, um, that I kind of, uh, yeah, stepped into. So, yeah, it was like you said earlier. I mean, I, I, yeah, I love Scream. Scream is a love letter to the genre. Scream mm. is Scream's the film. I mean, definitely, if we were doing a list of top ten nineties, Scream's my number one. I can tell you now, hands down. Uh, Scream is it revived and reinvented the slasher genre because the slasher genre was pretty much dead when Scream came out. Um, you know, and uh, Scream brought it back, and even then, wasn't it? Scream actually uh, inspired a lot of other films to follow. You know, I know we did last summer, Urban Legend, Valentine. It opened the floodgates for a lot of other slasher films. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, ha Halloween is definitely... If, if Halloween wasn't successful, we probably wouldn't have got Friday the 13th, or certainly not at that point in time anyway, or My Bloody Time or Terror Train. So films like Halloween and Scream, there's a lot of films that owe, that owe a lot of stuff to, to them two movies. Mm-hmm.
I think one really great thing about the horror genre, like you've kind of pointed out, and uh, as I kind of realised as you as you were doing your list, it's uh, I think one of the reasons, one of one of the things that helps the horror genre really thrive is like okay, you can use the lack of budget in certain films, like certain films that you've mentioned in there, um, and certain film, films that I've mentioned, things like Paranormal Activity, where you've got you know a couple of actors, it's more about the camera work, it's more about Sometimes it is about the lack of sound because it's sort of like okay, it's quiet, nothing's happening. When is something going to happen? Uh, a, a, bit, a bit like what you said with the whole Michael Myers stuff. Like sometimes when things go quiet yeah. and it, it's more about kind of okay, where is the whatever enemy you're talking about? Where is the the threat or the enemy going to come from? And I, I remember kind of um, almost for the first time because obviously Halloween 2018 was my first uh, you know jump into that kind of franchise, and I remember. When I was watching that film, you know, in the cinema only two years ago, but uh, when that was happening, and it was that kind of thing where you they sort of pan from right to left, and you you're taken through a house, and you see the person in the house kind of going about their normal life, and then you see Michael in one corner, the camera kind of moves back, he's not there, you're wondering where he's gone, and then he pops up somewhere else, and I think that's uh, yeah, it's a good thing that the it's a good kind of tool that the horror advan- uh, the horror genre can kind of take advantage of is that kind of okay like like if you look at sort of superhero films and that sort of thing when you have like okay an Avengers Endgame or something where obviously you're throwing loads of money in there because you've got loads of actors and CG and all this superhero stuff happening and uh, obviously you've had you know certain different superhero films and stuff but I think that's uh, it's a good thing that horror can really kind of take advantage of that i mean something as well like the invisible man you've got okay you're probably playing paying elizabeth moss a fair bit of money because she's a big big actress but other than that there's not too many characters there's not too many things going on but when you talk about like okay there's not too many things going on it's it's not that way of like okay this is slow and boring it's more that kind of slow burn and that that suspense because i mean you, you've mentioned suspense a lot as you're going through your list and that's quite an important thing horror i mean again yeah. in something like a quiet place where you've got okay sure you're probably playing paying you know um emily blunt and john krasinski a fair bit of money obviously one of them's the director of the film and that um but other than that like okay you see the monsters now and again you see them gradually more as you go through the film but that film really is about okay let's have some silence some quiet they're walking through they don't know what they're going to come kind of come across and uh yeah it's it's a great thing that the because no no other genre because that's sort of something that you touched upon not many other genres can really get away with that in the same way that sort of quiet suspense for a few minutes something happens maybe you hear a noise you're not sure where the again the enemy is depending on what, what film you're talking about uh and i think that's uh it's pretty great for that genre so yeah i mean i think yeah it's, it's yeah like you said i don't think uh you don't need a lot of money to make a, an effective film you really no. don't films like texas chainsaw massacre halloween night living dead evil dead obviously if we get onto an 80s podcast um evil dead great hulk, cult horror comedy from the 80s very low budget and yet it's gone on to achieve cult status it's considered very much a classic of the genre now um you know like i said to you, invisible man i i thought was really good i i wasn't expecting much from it um, because we've already had two invisible man films previously we've had like three sequels um but I really liked it, and uh, like I said, very very good direction there. What did you think to the score to that film? Because I really liked the effective and very kind of understated score. Hmm. Um, I would say that the score of certain films isn't something I necessarily pay attention to, but I remember enjoying it for the most part. 
So, uh, but but for me with that film, it was more about like, okay, I know Elizabeth Moss is good at doing this sort of role because I've been watching her do it for four or five seasons of Handmaid's Tale. A different character, but the same type of role in, in certain ways. But that was more about like, okay, I'm going to see how this woman is going to, well, not see how she's going to handle it because I know that she's going to be able to. But uh, yeah, I just thought the idea of that was uh, pretty cool at the time. But um, yeah, the score as well, you know, with, with things like music, like we said, can go a long way to creating that sort of silent suspense in a way where characters aren't talking, they're hiding, they're trying not to, you know, make too much noise. So it's good stuff. I've just realised there's actually one more film. Oh, what's I've that done one? There's actually, um, it's Don't Look Now, released in 73. I've just remembered. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it's not too late, is it? No, you can put that one in, so uh, yeah. it's your list. So. It's, it's basically, yeah, Don't Look Now, because the honourable mention was The Tenant. Don't Look Now is, uh, it's a great example, actually, of a very slow-burning psychological horror movie. Uh, the move, the, the movie's strength really lies in its atmosphere, and there's a sense of almost unrelenting dread from start to finish. Uh, you know, the the movie generates a sense of kind of impending doom, and uh, it's it's set in Venice. It's very much the movie's about grief. It's about a couple, Donald Sutherland and Judy Christie, who lose their young daughter, and they go to Venice. Uh, in a way to try and get over it and uh, he's there for his job and uh, really won't go into spoiler territory but they're, they're basically told that their young daughter is still with them and strange things start happening um, it's a very kind of emotive emotionally impactful horror film uh, I saw it as a young child actually and the ending the climax to the film never left me I actually had nightmares for, for weeks um, after seeing the ending to that film um it's like i said there's no there's no cheap jump scares or anything like that it, it's really because you actually care for the characters that you're actually watching you know they're in the grieving process and it's set in venice and venice is almost a character in itself in this film uh this is the only film i've ever really seen where venice looks creepy there's uh there's particular nighttime scenes where they're going through because you know venice is very much kind of a labyrinth of uh you know of alleyways and whatnot and at night time it looks creepy suitably creepy and uh yeah don't look now i think is a great example in the 70s it was actually a great decade for psychological horror films there's loads more like let's scare jessica jessica to death and images but i think don't don't look now is probably the creme de la creme of um 70 psychological horror flicks cool all right um yeah i think that's everything we pretty much came to do today uh thank you for sharing your knowledge of horror films obviously there's there's, there's quite a lot there so uh that's really uh great to see as well and um yeah if anybody is looking for any recommendations for horror films uh, i think barry is certainly the the person to go to so of course if you want to get in touch ask me and i'll ask him and and, and whatever so uh for any particular horror films because i'm sure you've got um quite a few that you could you could recommend or name obviously depending on like specifically which horror films people want to see but um yeah uh we will at some point do uh because you wanted to do 70s 80s and 90s but in separate podcasts so we'll come back at some point and do the 80s list and then eventually do the 90s um so we'll come back and do those and i'll I'll do something 
else with a list of mine in those podcasts as well um uh, but uh yeah thank you for joining me uh today barry and um yeah we'll be yeah we'll be back with uh something else soon as well. we've got a couple of other podcasts we talked about and had planned it's not just horror stuff uh we've got some other things as well uh we don't know exactly when we'll be back we planned certain particular days depending on things that are happening but uh yeah um so thank you all very much for listening of course let us know your horror favorite horror or least favorite horror films if you dislike black christmas as much as me and uh and uh barry do of course because uh, i think we're both very much there with you as well with that particular film but uh yeah let us know you know not necessarily a top 10 but let us know some of your favorite or least favorite horror films and uh that would be cool to know as well so uh, you can of course send in that feedback if you'd like to do so uh, Matthew at entertainmenttalk.org Twitter eTalkUK there's a contact page and information in your show notes so get in touch of course not just for horror films but for anything else related to entertainment talk that's uh, cool as well um, if you want to uh, I did mention Geek Town earlier as well of course if you want to find out if when and where your favorite tv shows and films are coming back uh now is a good time for what well, was always a good good time for that sort of thing but uh yeah david has, has of course got you covered on geektown.co.uk if you want that in weekly podcast format uh there is of course geektown radio on tuesdays look out for those episodes um yeah if you want to check out some of that stuff that would be great as well if you want to support the podcast and support entertainment talk we're on patreon please check out the one dollar and three dollar level tiers that's for review options and ad free podcast options amazon affiliate link if you're still buying on stuff on amazon we can get a small cut of what you're spending but it won't cost you anything extra so don't worry about that uh itunes feeds please rate review and subscribe to those make sure to get subscribed to both entertainment talk and geek town uh, so that you get update, updated with new episodes. Uh, word of mouth, please tell people that you know about the website and your iTunes feeds. If you see them discussing something that we've done a podcast on, please tell them about that particular podcast. Uh, social media, please, of course, share them on Facebook and Twitter and put them in different Facebook groups. And lastly, video games. If you want to watch us play different video games, uh, me and David stream on Twitch, Robert streams on Mixer. And look out for Let's Play Sundays. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.